Strange New Worlds Productions wanted to take a moment and say thank you to our Dragon Tear patrons. Thank you so much to Doug, F. Sutton, Nicole, Kirsten, Beth, and Charles. We appreciate you and all of our patrons. Please visit us at snwproductions.com and see how you can support our work. All right, John, I've uh, looked over your character. I've seen the stats. Everything looks really good. But, you know, you didn't really talk to me about backstory at all. Oh, man, I've been working on the backstory all week. You're going to love it. Okay, yeah, tell me about it. All right, so my mom and dad, they raised dragons, right? It was like our family business. And uh, they knew I was going on this adventure, and it was going to be really dangerous. So uh, they did give me a dragon mount. So um, he's going to kind of be with me as we as we kick this off. Um, and my dad, he used to be uh, like a really well-known warrior. It's kind of how he got rich and bought the first dragons and then started the farm and everything. And he gave me this sword. I think it's called a Holy Avenger. And uh, so that's kind of how I'm going to kick it off was, you know, with my mount and my family heirloom here. So ready oh. to go. Um, um, okay. Uh, John, uh, I applaud you for your effort, but uh, you, you can't have any of that. I don't want to play anymore. Your first level, man. You're censoring me. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, I, I remember those days, by the way, and, you know, being a young kid and making up these just crazy-ass first-level characters with, like, just th- that kind of backstory, but also the um, just amazing amount. Like, I had every magical weapon that was in the book I had. Well, I have a confession. So, like, that is a true story of the second character I ever made in D&D, and it's because my first you know, character I ever made was a wizard in second edition and he had like two hit points and he died like five minutes into the adventure. And then the DM challenged me to come up with a, a backstory for my new character. And so I sat in study hall and just made this crazy story up and exactly what you did to me there. He's like, uh, no, none of that <laughs> is allowed into the game. Did you like run over to him? Like so excited. He's like, he's going to love this. I thought, oh, he, my. I, I thought I had hacked the game. I was like, I bet <laughs> nobody has figured out how to do this yet. Oh yeah. 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 yeah Cause you, you were, you were the man, man. You were using your brain. You were working the systems. That's right. Uh, welcome to legend lore from brought to you by strange new worlds productions. I'm dungeon master, Mike. I'm DM Rockfuss, also known as John. Dungeon Master Osborne. I'm Cody. Dungeon Master Popatine. Or Matt, if you like to call me that. I'll call you that today. I'm just not going to call you late for dinner. Oh, oh, look at that callback. We're, looking, we're getting so good. We're, we're having callbacks we're like a Marvel, previous We're episodes. like a Marvel movie series now. <laughs> where like it builds on the previous episodes. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> uh, okay, so today we're going to be talking about character creation and, uh, and a few different subjects on that and a little bit how... We approach it probably a little bit, but also different ways you can approach character creation. Uh, I think we could maybe start off with the simplest of things. Is one of the first things that everybody does when they sit down. And they've got their either they got their laptop out and they've, they've they've got the character sheet up and they're ready to go, or they've got their printed off character sheet and their their pencil and they're ready to go. They get those dice out and they roll their ability scores. And there's options to do that. You have a point by system. 
you have uh, with 5e, you have the standard array, and then you have the old school way of rolling for your ability scores and kind of wonder what you guys' thoughts on, on all three of those options are. Man, you know what? I love the rolling for your scores thing. I do too. But I'm also one of those guys that loves it when the character has all low scores because <laughs> I think that can be fun as hell to role play right. and, and work through. Um, but I'm in the minority on that, man. I mean, most people hope for all 20s on all of their scores, right? Um, but I, I will say probably almost every single character that you know I've made in our campaigns uh, in the past few years has been with Standard Array. And I find it to be a really good system personally. So my experience doing standard or uh, point by actually was every single time I try to make a character with point by because I've got some kind of weird multi-class idea that I want to do. And I'm putting in my points everywhere. I end up with the standard array <laughs> almost every single time. And then I'm like, okay, I got to try and deviate from the standard array here. I'm going to make like, I'm going to bring that one up. I'm going to bring that one down. And I was like, I don't like that at all. Standard well, array. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Like, I do love rolling and for, for the the, score, the ability scores. And one of the reasons I like to roll is for some reason, whenever I sit down to roll a character and I do that, I always end up with, like, three really high rolls. And I don't and I, Even, like, the first roll, of, sometimes you'll do the series, you know, to do the three rolls of all your ability scores and then take whatever one you want out of a bunch of three. Somehow I always end up with three really high rolls. But with that being said, I've gotten really used to the standard array. And I think the standard array works so well with 5e when it comes to uh, to leveling up. And and when you start to get uh, the ability score improvement, stuff like that, you can, you, if, depending on what you're putting, let's say you're a sorcerer and you're putting your, your highest scores, charisma to begin with, and you're human, let's say, or just as an example. So you're starting off with a 16 charisma. Well, I mean, by the time you start jacking up from ability score improvements, you can have a high charisma really quick and at, at, at actually fairly low levels. Yeah, and I will say at the end of the day, uh, I know as a low-level player, you see a 16, you're like plus three, and then the player to yeah. my right has like an 18 because they rolled better or they put their points around or they're a different race and they have better charisma or whatever their main stat is. But at the end of the day, you got to think of it as it's, it's a plus one to one of the roles. So it is, it is good. And it's, it's great to have that plus one. Cause that could be either you win or lose, but at the end of the day, it's just a plus one. Right. So it's not going to kill your character to have a 16 instead of an 18. Well, and, and, and to John's point too, I, I have also had the other uh, chain of events where I couldn't roll to save my life on a character. Right. And I also like, Instead of saying, because I've seen this happen with DM saying, oh, you don't, uh, you didn't really roll anything raw. Do you want to just scrap all those rolls and, and, and roll again? I'm like, no, no, I will, I will take this. I will work this into my character. I'll work this into how I play things. I had a Dwarven Cleric, and um, I rolled really, really crappy with him. So I did take, and I'm, I was, you know, kind of moving things around, trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? We're making a sacrifice here. I've got these really bad rolls, but I need to have a good wisdom, and I think I ended up with like, you know, a 12 or 13 wisdom. I was like super low. And because all the other low rolls, I ended up with like a five charisma. Like I could not talk my way out of a paper bag. Mm. That's just how bad my charisma was. And then we were working with something called the uh, central role casting system or what we called it the blue book. And what that was, it was kind of a way to help you build the backstory for your character. So you'd have all these different charts you would roll on and you would get uh, different story elements, but sometimes they also affected your ability scores. And if you roll really well, it could be cool. You might get some bonuses to your ability scores. I rolled so bad. 
I rolled twice on this table that my character as a child was attacked by a pack of wild dogs <laughs> and ended up losing charisma. So by the time I started this campaign with this character, wait, wait. I, I had so, two charisma. T- so twice... Yeah. <laughs> your parents were terrible, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> like they did not learn the first time. Do not let him wander around in the backyard with the dogs. No, no. So, so basically, I got my face ripped off, and I ended up playing that character since I had such a low charisma. I couldn't talk anybody into anything. But I ended up like I wore a mask the entire time for my character. That's how hideous I was. Like I would get, I would get such bad reactions from walking into a village bar. That they would think of as a monster kind of stuff, but it was fun. We baked it into that that story. I love that man. And what I would have encouraged you to do, right? If you did, maybe you did do this, but like I would have encouraged your character to have like uh, a fear of dogs. Oh, I did. Right? I did. I was terrified yeah, of dogs. Yeah, and and like really play that up. And that's what I'm saying with uh, one of the cool things that can come out of those uh, those you know rolling for your stats with those weak scores is that you can really make that shape how you play your character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I actually had at one point. I think I had a an encounter with a puppy that some little girl was trying to get rid of in front of a like a general store or <laughs> something. And I, I, we probably role played that for like 10 minutes of my, of my terror of this puppy and her chasing me around with the puppy. Oh God. Trying to, no, oh, he's a puppy. You want this puppy? And I'm like, no, nah. you know, running away and here, you know, a full grown dwarf running away. Oh, and also by the way, cause my face was so hideously, hideously scarred. I couldn't grow a beard. So. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I think that what you were describing was that stats can tell a story. And yeah. a lot of the time people just use them as mechanics that, it, you know, Maybe describe how you look to charisma being more attractive and, you know, strength obviously more muscular, maybe right. dexterity more nimble, you yeah. know. But <clears throat> high stats can tell a story and low stats can tell a story too. Like, why are you this way if you are, you know, you have an, an eight strength, maybe you're, you're a sickly person, maybe you were, uh, you were, had a disease when you were a child like polio that kept you that way, or if you have a really high intelligence. I, we use that mechanically to be like, well, I think that my character with an 18 intelligence is able to figure out this or surmise this. Am I correct in assuming my character would think or know this, right? So you can tell the story, but it also affects the gameplay mechanics in multiple ways, role playing and rolling dice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and I think uh, one of the things that, that actually kind of moves me on to is a little bit is I think we all approach making characters in different ways probably. I usually start with a with the con- with the concept. Like I think well, what do I want to play? Uh, and then, yeah, I will look at the the standard array and how I'm going to arrange those things, and then I go leap immediately into what's my backstory. So one of the things that I, that we've seen that that yeah, since we've been playing Five E is sometimes I come up with a concept for the character, and then don't necessarily put my scores where they need to go to to build a uh, optimized an optimized character. And that kind of happened with Ramon Azteca. Ramon Azteca. Squashbuckler. Yeah, the swashbuckling rogue that I put his highest score in charisma because that's the kind of guy I was thinking he was going to be. He was going to be the kind of guy that that talked talked his way out of situations. You know, he was going to kind of be the kind of guy that deceived people, you know, know, giving them a smile and shaking their their hands while he's reaching out and taking their money back kind of thing. So uh, just kind of interested in how you guys think about min-maxing stuff and uh, and about character concept when it comes to that. I don't. I definitely think that uh, at the beginning, playing Fifth Edition, when I was playing in Adventures League, uh, I was definitely a very min-max kind of person, and I didn't like that. It might have been a derivative of me playing Fourth Edition first, and that being so mechanically based. 
But when I came into fifth edition uh, and in the Adventures League, I had that mechanic. So I was like, oh, I've got to have an 18 charisma score if I'm a warlock. i got to have it. And i got to have this. Once I started playing D&D with you guys, uh, that kind of changed and made it more of a, I wanted to make my character how they were. I want to I put my backstory down. I want to pick their class. And then I want to pick my ability scores based off of what their, you know, their backstory is. Really? And that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy the point by system is because I get to choose what my abilities are so I can find out, well, like Amity, for instance, one of the characters I play is a very charismatic warlock. Uh, and she's a bar owner. That's what like her thing. And she's very charismatic, but she's not very strong. Uh, she's not very, uh, um, forgetting what the other one is. She's not very, she's not very wise. So I like the ability to make those lower. So that way she had those, but now it's terrible because my wisdom save is terrible and my strength, I can't really move anything. But at the end of the day, it's, I'm making a character. For you're, that. you're making the character you want to play. Yeah. You know, uh, it. we talk a lot about being mechanically minded versus narratively minded, right? And we definitely, to Matt's point, we, we're very narrative focused in our group. Like, we want to tell great stories either, you know, with our characters and with the overall thing as a DM. So that is a huge influence on how you approach character creation, right? Because if you go to Google, you can literally search for what, you know, D&D, you know, combo creates the highest DPS character, right? right? Um, who has the best, you know, burst damage? Who has the highest survivability? You can definitely do that. Um, and there's people who love to do that. You know, we've got a very good friend of ours, Nathan, who he, he knows how to min-max his characters, and he does it, and uh, does it well. Um, so I'm not trying to take away from anybody who that's your thing you like to do and enjoy about the game. I mean, hell yeah, do you lean into it. With that said, it's not me. You know, like me, I always want to, to, to Matt's point, I want to figure out what is this character. Actually, Mike said at first, it's like, you know, what is, who is this character? Who, what are they really about? What are they doing? And then you go off of that and, and build out the stats and build out, you know, all the other things you end up choosing, right? Uh, for me, I am, I always think of my character creation process as kind of the, the core class first. So I think what class of character do I want to make? Um, let's say I want to make a wizard. And then I think, well, what race do I want my wizard to come from? And uh, with the introduction of Tasha's, I can be a little bit looser with uh, the race stuff because now I don't got to focus too much about the automatic intelligence increase. Um and then, like, I, I always I love multiclassing, so I was like, why is my character multiclassing kind of a thing? And then I, I think my about my ability scores after I think about my class and my background even comes after my class, like, why is my guy a wizard? Why is he a fighter? Um, I wish backgrounds had more mechanic into the me mechanics of your character and your class and all that. For the most part, there's kind of flavor stuff. Um, I think they had a good idea with backgrounds because if you look at backgrounds, they do have... I don't, I don't think they call them abilities, but there's like things that the background does for you. Like if you're mm -hmm. a scholar, I think it's like you can go to a local library and they'll give you access or whatever. Yeah. Right? If, if you're an acolyte, you can go into like a church yeah. that has your alignment and you can get free room and board there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a good idea. I just don't think they did enough with it. It's very, mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't always work. Right. So like, yes, you may be um, like, let's say you're in Faerun and you're playing a, um, I don't know, like a drow 
wizard who's who's a scholar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in, you know, the, the high elven city, <laughs> and right. you're like, hey, I want to go into your library and study your elven text. They're going to be like, you loth worshiping son of a gun, get out of here. You know, they're <laughs> not going to let you use that ability, right? Yeah, I, I think that's where it comes into play that the DM also has to be aware of you of your backgrounds and take a little responsibility himself or herself to 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 know these things and to figure out how that plays into the game and sometimes mm-hmm. even maybe remind you because sometimes i'll take a background and, I, and all of a sudden i totally forget about these things and to, to remind you like you know you're maybe you are that scholar and you're like you're thinking about um, how am i gonna what am i gonna do here how am i gonna get this and you're that dro scholar and you're in this high elf city and they're they've told you get lost and what am i gonna do and and, and maybe the, that's the time where the dm's like you know can can maybe have you make a role maybe and tell you that hey, well, you also know that the you know the thieves guild here has also got a very good collection of books that they've stolen over the years, and maybe maybe you could approach them. Mm-hmm. So I think the DM can definitely help out with with that background stuff. But I agree with what John said. I don't think uh, wizards did enough with the backgrounds to really make them an integral part of the game. I just wish they had made them more mechanical but not necessarily for combat so like i think of that scholar ability right um instead of it saying you can go up to any library and get access what if it just said you get advantage on investigation roles you make inside of libraries Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because you grew up literally spending time in a library that's how you became a scholar so that would translate mechanically to having advantage when you're trying to find something specific in a library right and that would apply to any library you're giving access to right what if instead, that's the same, I like that idea, but what if instead they had taken the backgrounds and said, if you're a scholar, you get plus two intelligence. So basically all the races oh. have their one ability score. So if you're a dwarf, you get constitution because you're sturdy. If you're a human, you're unique, so you can get plus one to anything. Mm-hmm. But your background is what actually gives you your plus two, making it so that if you're a dwarf, you maybe instead of, you know, training all day in the mines or mining and stuff you actually studied and read books and i'm sure you know there's dwarves out there oh, that sure. like to read wise beard uh, wise beard there you go but i thought that that would be a cool idea we me and cody kind of just talked about this but that's what if the background idea. just gave you that plus two or whatever it is that's i think cool. that's a fantastic mechanic actually because it, it makes more sense to to get that boost from your education right mm-hmm. than it does from your race yeah your character history yeah. I mean, like uh, the way Tasha's did it is you can just you know do whatever you want. Like your character race gives you intimidation check. Well, I want to make that Arcana, or I want to make a persuasion, or whatever. Uh, you get plus two strength. Well, I want to have plus two intelligence, and it's fine. I just think it was kind of a lazy way to go about it. Yeah, no, well, I, I agree well, with and, that. and all respect to them for the problem they were having to deal with, and to this day Absolutely. have to deal with, which is you. You know, and again, not to get political at all, but I think everyone could recognize we are definitely in a, a heightened awareness sort of state as a society about racial and cultural issues. And so, uh, of course, that came into D&D and all tabletop uh, fantasy games right now. And, you know, people are asking those, I think, relevant questions of like, well, why do, you know, gnomes always have to have intelligence as their their plus two like why can't it be strength why can't you have a strong gnome you know and i well on the one hand i certainly like what tasha's did which is it just said hey look instead of having to you know really get into the weeds about this just it's your character work with your dm and you can move it around right i love that i, I think the thing that made me and mike chuckle when tasha's was dealing with all this and coming out is we've always done that 
Yeah. Like we yeah. we've never told a character who sat down and said, "Hey, you know the the book says that I got this, but my guy's more of a scholar than a miner, so I kind of want to move these points over." I mean, yeah, we we've we've, I've never said no to that. Yeah, yeah, we've always let that go, and that's that's kind of and when thinking about it, and this is kind of a weird thought that I just had during this conversation was also that could be something that um, if you're doing a point by point by system that you could also work into that where you you spend your points to get your bonus for for your abilities. Just just a weird thought. Yeah. Uh, shoot, give me give me two seconds. Oh, uh, <laughs> so you guys you say that uh, you guys second. have always done it that way. I think I don't I don't think most DMs do it the way that you guys do, it, where you talk to your DM. There's a conversation to be had between player and DM. And it's, I'm a half-orc, but I want to be a wizard really badly. I have a cool background story that I want to do. And then this DM says, it's not in the rule book. Right. Can't really do it that way. It might make your character way overpowered compared to the other characters by having a half-orc wizard. We can't can't violate the sacred text of the (laughs) players. So I think Tasha's coming out and, and doing that gave players and DMs the tools to feel comfortable right. and realizing like, oh my gosh, we can, we can make the half orc wizard. And, and I, and I like that. And I, that's something I did like about Tasha's quite a bit actually myself, because I think it did expand upon a very basic rule set that has been kind of in place since the very beginning of D and D. Right. And it gave, and as you said, it gave them a toolkit to, to learn how to, to adapt and, and do these things. But I can also say, even if you're not using Tasha's uh, as a DM and as players, is just be adaptable. You know, just just roll with it. It's okay. That's what this game is here for. Yeah, character creation should yeah. be a negotiation in a way between yeah. the DM and the player. You're still not um, getting that dragon mount at first level. God damn it, you censor me oh, so much. Just be, um, a, be a ranger. <laughs> dragon warden ranger. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm never going to be a ranger. I'm a ranger right now. What am I talking about? You, you're, <laughs> dude, you're a, you're a Dragonborn Ranger. I know, I know. Which I always said I would never play a Dragonborn and I would never play a Ranger. And you're doing both. And I'm loving it. Um, So one of the things about Tasha's before we move on from that, they did something really cool with the variant thing from humans now being available to all races. And I got to say, I've played a lot of variant humans. And I do that because you can get that feat at level one, which Mm -hmm. is just so So good. You can say it's strong. It is strong. But it also, if you talk about that customization of a character, it lets you really have more customization to your character. So to have that expanded to all races, I really like. Uh, Going So Pathfinder has a really cool variant rule, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, where at level one, you get a free... Uh, multi-class archetype and they do a lot more than just uh, a, a fighter archetype or, or you know dipping a wizard dipping a sorcerer or whatever like that they have things like uh, an acrobatic archetype so you can be a fighter with the acrobatic or a rogue with the acrobatic archetype and you get special abilities as you level up in acrobatic or scholar and of course you can do the the core classes like druid or ranger or fighter or whatever like that and get abilities from those core classes but they also just have like these this huge multitude of side archetypes that you can dip into and level up as, as you gain in your core level. I like that idea, and I think that a really cool idea with 5th edition is to do something kind of similar to that with feats, but like non-combat feats. So there's like a leadership feat and an actor feat in 5th edition that I doubt anybody ever takes because why would I take those when I could take Lucky or Great Weapon Master or Warcaster, right. yeah. uh, Alert... Yeah. Um, 
But I, I think that'd be a really cool idea to do. Is to so like a house rule yeah. of uh, you pick a feat at level one that it can't have combat implications. Yeah, maybe just, yeah. You know, a, okay. a role play feat. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, Cody, I just want to let you know, you know, because you're the. You're I was red. very excited. To talk you were very excited about that, and you are the resident uh, uh, rules lawyer here. Um, this is a D and D podcast, not a Pathfinder podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I think this is a tabletop role-playing podcast yeah, just with, with a hard-on for D&D. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Oh, crap. Uh, so, so, yeah, so, I don't know. Do we want to talk about multiclassing first or backstory first a little bit? Let's keep talking about backstory for a minute because I don't yeah. think we're, I mean, we're not quite to the, I guess, you know, as you as you come up with the story of who yeah. your character is, that that usually will tell you what the class you should pick yeah, should be. Absolutely. But, but I think multi-classing is interesting because it's something you pick up as you gain levels, right? As you move on, you can't start at level one as a, you know, two, you can't start with two classes at level one, right? So, um, so it would, the question would be dependent on what level your adventure is going to be, because if you're starting at a level five adventure, well, yeah, you can start with a multi-class and bake that into right. the, the background. But if it's level one, it's, I think, harder to pull off. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, back Backstory to me is super important uh, when it comes to character creation because it really does, as I already said a little bit a little earlier, is it helps me formulate exactly what this character is going to be when it comes down to the mechanics. Uh, but there's so many other reasons why backstory is important. I want to say everybody sitting at this table is great at coming up with backstories, and the master, and the master, oh, no, yeah. the master of the coming up with backstories is Mister. DM Popatine over yep. here. This guy comes up with some of the most intricate, fun stuff. And uh, we, we saw an example of everybody. We've seen examples of everybody's backstory in Dark Kingdom. Uh, I had a lot to work with with Matt because he put a lot of thought into it. And you guys just happen to go to the right part of the world for that. Um, and it's, to me, not only is it important to, to, to form your character, it's important to have so that your DM has a little something to build his story upon too. And as DMs, I cannot overstate this. Don't just look at and read your character, uh, your player's backstories and just say, oh yeah, that's, that's cool. I like that, man. That's a really cool story. And then forget about it. It's so integral. It's such a big part of what you can do in your overall narrative to take elements of everybody's backstories. It, it helps you as a storyteller when you may have maybe a fewer ideas than you would like to have, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can rely a little bit. Oh, yeah, so John gave me this really good thing over here, and I can work that into the story very easily. But it also gives the players their moments to shine. It gives them their 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 narrative focus, and that's one of the reasons I think backstory is so important in any character creation process. Well, yeah, I mean, and, you know, Matt, <laughs> I remember when we were playing uh, Realms of the Dragon, and you sent me your... Um, you know, your pirate, uh, <laughs> um, who didn't make it, unfortunately. No. Um, but he had, he sent me this beautiful background of a mutiny on the ship he was the captain of. And these were the, every member of the ship and what their background was. And this was the betrayal that happened. And what that ended up doing for me in the campaign is it actually gave me a villain that I was able to, I don't think he ever actually showed up, but he was in y'all's like orbit and some of his henchmen ended up in your orbit. You ran into an old uh, member of the crew, you know, in an opium den, I think. And, uh, <laughs> and we, you had role playing with that guy. So to, to Mike's point, it actually, when your characters are giving you 
fleshed out backgrounds, they're actually giving you the ability to have easier prep because you can bake that into the overall campaign and and create really cool dramatic moments. Well, heck and Rod, you actually, uh, you had Kage Neko as part of the overall narrative, even though I wasn't playing the character that I created Kage Neko for as part of my backstory, but you still ran with that as part of the world, part of the narrative. And I thought that was super cool, even though I did end up coming back and playing Momoto. Uh, I thought it was really cool how you, you still embraced that. You, you loved that part or whatever. Whatever worked for your story, worked for it. Well, you did such a good job creating it. You know, Kageneko was this sort of a crime lord, uh, that was Shogun of the Dark kind of kind of character. And the way you had fleshed him out for your character's backstory was, you know, he had killed your family and he had, he was spreading his reach across all the land. And, you know, he was, his operatives were in the shadows. And so, you know, it's like, wow, that's actually a really good villain. That guy should be doing shit in this town. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, so any, any other thoughts on backstory as far as like anything? Uh, I got one. So, you know, how do you guys feel about stealing characters from other media? Like, you know, oh, I want to, I want to make Batman, or you make a turtle monk, and you're like, I'm going to make him like a Ninja Turtle, like, you know, like, or or even going so far as to saying, hey, I literally want to make this character in D and D. I forget his name. There's a guy that has an awesome YouTube series that he's done. Hundreds yeah, he's of done all those. Tulak the Barbarian. Tulak yeah, Barbarian. Yeah, I've only yeah. watched a few of them, but yeah. man, that guy, it, he's really he thorough, and he does a really good job with it. But how do you guys feel about that? Is that too contrite for you to allow into a game? Or? What, are, what are your thoughts on that, Keenan? I mean, absolutely allow it. Like, inspiration is all around us. We all want to play our favorite characters. There's no reason not to. You're not you're not plagiarizing it. It's a buddies and you around a table having fun. Like, if you want to play the Joker, or bad example is the villain, but if you want to play something. <laughs> well, we know you always play villains. I so. did, yeah, I, I do did play. I play anti-heroes, excuse me. I did uh, play a character that was based on the Joker, though. <laughs> Uh, what was that, Cody? I did play a Joker-esque character, though. Oh, who? It was um, Drist Must Die. Oh, oh yeah, 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 you did. I that was, a, vi- that that. was a villain one-shot. That was great. But I think that playing, you should, pl- I mean, you should, if you want to, play a character from another media franchise, because it's the only thing in the world that actually allows you to do such. Like, we all want to play something super cool, badass, and fun. And if you don't have an original concept that you want to run and you like something else, do it. Like, is the only thing you can do, or is the, this D&D is the only... A medium that allows you to enact that. Yeah, I no, absolutely agree with that. And I think one of the cool things about that too is, again, as we talked about, there's no original, uh, there's no original thought, no original story, no original character that hasn't been done a million times. And if you adapt something, one of your favorite characters or something you really want to play, you'll probably somewhere in that whole process kind of come up with your own. Uh, absolutely, you'll have your own take on your it. Your own take on it, and I think that makes that that's fun. It's fun to see that. Um, you know, I think back to the days of when I first began playing role-playing games. And I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast or not, but, you know, my first homebrew role-playing game was Escape from New York. And I oh, literally awesome. literally modeled my first role play, homebrew role-playing game off of the Escape from New York movie. Obviously, this has some serious limitations, so it didn't last very long. Yeah. And I ended up making another homebrew by The Last Frontier. Did you have Snake Plissken in it? Uh, so nobody, we didn't have any, we, I had like the villains in it, right? Uh, and it wasn't necessarily, they were always going to res- rescue the president. There was all, other reasons why I'd, why I'd get them in, in there, right? The prison, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, my buddy Tony Meza at the time was playing with me and it was just, it was literally one-on-one playing like you, you, you did when you're young. 
And uh, but Tony's characters were always very similar to Snake. And <laughs> That's if they, funny. And if they weren't similar to Snake, they might have some other similarities to other uh, um, uh, Kurt Russell characters. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> the he, best actor. He's so. the best actor, right? So so, but <laughs> the best and Arnold too. But yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, Arnold. I can't do this. I can just <laughs> get to yeah, the job. <laughs> so so then then when I created Last Frontier, I took every element that I loved about sci-fi and dumped it into one game. This had uh, elements of aliens and Star Wars and Marvel comics. I used to use the old, uh, gosh, what were they called? I forgot what they're called. The uh, the thing with the stuff in it. Yeah, no, the old Marvel comic books, they did a series and it was about all the characters and you'd have a page with a character on it. I can't remember. What oh, it was like called. an almanac? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I know what so you're talking about. I would about. take literally take characters, and that's how that would be my visual. I'm like, so this, and I'd use blood. I use bloodstone, and this is what bloodstone looks like. And I, I, I threw my kitchen sink. My players also made characters that were very reminiscent of other things. So Tony never started the game together. He played two characters. One was a guy called Lance Cutter, which was literally taken, I think, from a TV show called the Tales, uh, Tales of the monkey or something like that i can't remember it was it was, a, it was an indiana jones ripoff ah. i think it was like 12 monkeys uh, no that's 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 the the movie with um the golden i'm I, I, you know, just getting, getting getting off topic anyways um but what this but lance cutter was han solo nice mm-hmm. period and he had his he had his cut he had his 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 sidekick and the sidekick was what, what i was called it was a trandoshan and no transonian i called them transonians and he was a big giant lizard. He was Chewbacca. Period. Then I started playing with Charlie, introducing him into this game. Charlie basically made Chuck Norris. Okay. Because we were like <laughs> full on, you know, we were full on martial arts students and stuff at the time, right? So right. he made Chuck Norris. I mean, so I want to play a Chuck Norris character right now. Yeah. So there's no, I, I don't think there's any problem with with doing this, because like Keenan said, we're just buddies standing there, sitting around the table, having fun. And if you're gonna steal, steal from the best, as I've said before. Amen. Yeah. I tip my cowboy hat and then give a roundhouse kick to the face. You okay, so okay, so for, for you know for the purpose of uh, the podcast, right? So if you say I want to make Chuck Norris, right? So mm-hmm. w- what do you do? Human monk? Mm, yeah, that, you mean you have to do monk? Uh, Not necessarily. Of, you could well, be a fighter. You could do a bard. You could do a fighter bard that monk. does improvised weapons, or excuse me, a bar a barroom brawler feat. They don't mm-hmm. have a pugilist, do they? Uh, no, I, I, I did put a pugilist in Dark Kingdom that I made for, well, it wasn't really, I think I called him a brawler yeah. as, as an archetype for a fighter. Uh, the unarmed fighting style for the fighter, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. And so now he's got a fight. Now he's literally, and then you could literally like. Yeah, action surge. And yeah. You attacks, could, you could literally so yeah. like, you know, strap a, a brass knuckle on or just mm-hmm. gauntlets and say, these are my weapons. And what's the damage dice for unarmed fighter style? So it's, it's a, isn't it D. It changes it the, from a D4 to a D6. Yeah. For the tavern oh. brawler? Isn't that what it does? Or tavern, no, tavern brawler is different. That's a feat. That's a D4. Uh-huh. Oh, and you okay. can do um, like a. Uh, Random item fighting. Yeah, it yeah so like you, you can, can pick up anything well. and it's a weapon yeah. that you're that you have proficiency. You're basically yeah. Jackie Chan. Yeah. 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 Uh, with D4s for damage, which Ooh, sucks. It sucks. Yeah. Well, if you're a monk and you take that, I'd feel like you'd still, it would be improvised weapons would be, would they still be D4? I don't know. Maybe you have to DM. But these are the kind of conversations that could happen around creating, you know, mm-hmm. the conversations. Right. Yeah. It's not that it could, it's that it should happen. If you have a concept, mm-hmm. you DM, as a DM, you should be willing to hear what they have to say and keep it within reason. And then as a player, you should be enabled to create something 
No, and, uh, yeah, Keenan, you, you hit you hit it on the head. It should be a conversation, and it should be uh, a little bit of a team build at that point, right? Because you gotta you gotta make sure you're hitting what the DM wants, right? The DM's gotta gotta be have the final say, but also the DM DMs. I'm talking to you. Also, be a little creative with that. Let if that character if that player's coming up with a very creative reason why he should have, let's say a D6, maybe even a D8 instead of that D4. You know, figure a way to roll with it because I mean, that's part of his character. He's never gonna pick up a, a freaking longsword. Yeah. He's never going to pick up a battle axe, so he's never going to have that uh, the, that kind of damage capability unless you start right from the beginning working with them on a reasonable a reasonable explanation of why they have it. And it's not unbalanced at all because you're using a, a established weapon damage set already. So there's no reason why a fist has to be a D four. They do that so that it's like it's obviously not as dangerous as a sword. Right. From a balance mechanic, a martial artist would obviously be more than my d4 that i would throw because i'm a random dude there's no reason you can't use established rule sets with different flavor names to create something yeah part of my counterpoint to that would be like what if the story was taking you to an area where you couldn't have any of your weapons uh part of what makes the monk unique is that he doesn't need to have a great sword to dish out big damage to someone so that's part of his story narrative. No, absolutely. I mean, that fits right in line. That's not anti that because the rest of the party is now disarmed and they are one. They're still D4s because they're not trained. But someone who has trained in hand to hand combat mm-hmm. should always have that. They're not going to lose the, the uh, was they lose memory, the ability to throw a punch correctly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've always I've always felt like too. You're I mean again getting back into the weeds when it comes to the 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 race you choose or whatever. But I've always thought to myself, you know, obviously a half lean's unarmed strike should do less damage than a, a Goliath's. Dude, I read in the DMG, there's a really cool thing in there where you can wield uh, a weapon that's oversized mm-hmm. and you have disadvantage on the damage roll or on the attack roll, but your damage dice are doubled. And I just thought that was a super cool mechanic in the DMG. But yeah, the third edition, they had what you're talking about where like halflings and gnomes had uh, smaller weapons and smaller Part of the problem is that you can see when you read all of the, you know, the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide, um, the, the, you can tell that their main philosophy with 5e was simplicity and make it smooth, make it easy. And that has been, I think partially why so many people have found it accessible and have really gotten into it. Um, but then I think now, you know, like us now having been what, you know, several years, five years, yeah, five years into it, we're starting to get a little hungrier for more mechanical stuff. And we do a lot more homebrew tinkering on our stuff than we ever did before. We do a ton more homebrew than we did before. And I think we kind of mentioned that in a previous podcast. And I'm going to mention this as a side while I'm thinking about it, because you know who I am two days from now. I don't remember I had this idea and it has nothing to do with what we're, what we're talking about, but something that you just said about third edition made me think. We, uh, when we do our homebrew episode, let's talk about how you can scavenge from previous editions and make it oh, work yeah. in work yeah. fifth edition. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. So um, one question that came up in the Reddit community this week, and I, I, for the life of me, I couldn't find the post so I could give the person credit, but it's related to what we're talking about right now. And the question was, what do you do? Is a DM asking on, I think, DM's Guild or whatever. Um, they said, or DM Academy, they said, you know, basically, what do you do when your players want to play a character that does not fit with the campaign you're trying to run? Okay. So is it 
narrative reasons why there wouldn't be a samurai or the setting reasons why. Well, or... I guess that could be open for debate, but I think the general idea, right, is like, okay, so samurai, like, I want to play a more, you know, uh, steampunky kind of game setting, and then my player shows up, and he's like, I really, you know, I've been watching Samurai Jack, and I really want to be like a Samurai Jack kind of character. You answered your own question. A yeah. warp in time allowed him to be in that <laughs> setting. Or, or, or any, any reason, really. It could be that, that I think to answer that question that 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 the uh when it was on dm academy to answer that question is that it goes back to what uh, we've talked about is like the conversation between the dm and the player is okay let's find a way to make this work uh they can easily bake that into their backstory how they're here now and it could be they're just from a, a far away foreign land that Nobody else has heard of. It could be all kinds. It could be time travel. It could be all kinds of different reasons. But I think, I think I've never restricted anybody about what they're going to play when it comes to the overall narrative. I've just figured out ways to make it work. And I think that's, and that's a conversation between the player and the DM to do that. Yeah. And also, I think that if you're, if you're going to set that up, like if I want to play in Victoria or London, I'm going to tell my players, hey, make a character that fits in this world already. So, like, be, be proactive. You can be DM. very proactive. Like, don't, don't go, hey, make a character. I'm running a new game and come back with a samurai. Like, actually, you're 200 years late. Like, just tell them, like, this is this is the gist. Like, make a character. Tell them, make a character that fits. So then they know, it. hey, it's, it's got to be a detective, a, a constable, a, a manor owner. Like, it has, they know what to do with that information. Uh, okay, so with that in mind. I was running a Victorian era uh, kind of gothic gas lamp, steampunky horror thing, and somebody wanted to play a samurai. So we sat down and talked about it, and everybody else was playing fairly true Victorian era characters, right, and, and very genre-specific characters. So what we came up with is that he was one of the last samurais, that there was this one last samurai house in Japan, and he was one of the, one of the last errors of this of this art form this true being the true samurai and uh, when he got to to london he, and his reason for being in london is he was basically at, at an, i think it was a, like an attache to to the japanese consulate mm -hmm. so it was a very easily no, it way actually to do. Works. Yeah, it worked I, pretty well i love that and there's nothing wrong with that but you were privy to that or uh, amicable to that as the dm it's I was referring to if the DM doesn't. Oh want right, that. yeah, if yeah. You yeah, were yeah, just absolutely, saying, absolutely. I don't want that. You, yeah. you just you, you make it a non-issue by cutting it off before. Yeah, and, it happens. and there's definitely but if you want it to work, absolutely do because that's awesome. And like there's you made it work perfectly. And there's definitely nothing wrong with that as the DM if you you're setting parameters of the story, and if there are certain things you just don't think are viable in the story, yeah, you you have that. Yeah, that's your right to say, hey, I, I no, you can't do this. This is the parameters of the story, and. And the character, the, the players make characters that fit with that parameter, and I'm sure they're going to find fun characters to play. Mm -hmm. You can't always get to play exactly what you want to, as but, we knew when we did our random character handouts for the one yeah, shot, and yeah. Keenan ended up being the nun. Uh, I'm realizing now with the conversation that we were having that the thought that I was having is kind of wrong from what we're talking about, but I still want to talk about it. Yeah. So you're, you're, talking, you're talking about the samurai and how the samurai doesn't fit into the the game setting, right? I was thinking the samurai archetype for the fighter, and I was like, "Well, why don't you just reflavor, change the name, and maybe like get rid of like the calligraphy tools and give it some other kind of tool set or whatever like that?" And that's how you make the samurai fit. There's a mechanic. I was thinking, there's a mechanic in the samurai that the player really likes, right? 
But oh yeah, they, they know, wanted to play that from a gameplay perspective. But yeah, I was thinking more know. thematically. Yeah. Right, and I was not thinking thematical. I was, of course, I was thinking about mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> but also, also like if that's do what you're doing like yeah. if, if the mechanics make sense like obviously you're not gonna play a caster in a realism based victoria mm-hmm. london but if yeah if a samurai fighting style makes sense mm-hmm. totally like you could be you reflavor the your yakuza person so your family were samurais and now you have a katana kipped it over and you fight mm-hmm. the same way and then like, now yeah. it's modern i mean like there's nothing in the samurai archetype that aside from like the calligraphy tools that you get at third level there's nothing really in it that says samurai thematically it's just a bunch of mechanics that it's got yeah it doesn't seem that's exactly why i reinvented and made an entirely new samurai class Mm -hmm. or because it wasn't japanese at all because it wasn't thematically that the samurai is not thematically correct in D. &D. they i mean they even came out and said it wasn't supposed to be that thematic samurai it was supposed to be more of like this hero samurai from their kind of perspective more of like the very white perspective, I, I guess. I don't know. They they talked about more of like Whoa. being a more romantic samurai. I don't know. Yeah. I don't well, know. here's what they I'm said something about it. Here's here's what I'm going to tell them. They were wrong. Well, oh. I think their idea would like <laughs> you heard it here first. Wizards of the Coast was, was wrong. wrong. I, I think uh, their idea uh, wizards the uh, DM Rockfish would possibly like to work for you one day. So I do not. <laughs> I do not agree with them at all. I'm sorry, Jeremy Crawford. Don't hurt us. Please don't hurt me with your imagination. I think part of the idea with their um, I forget what it's called. Like their their breath bonus action that mm-hmm. gives them advantage on the attack rolls is that you would Uh-oh. like do that focusing breath right. thing and then you could do your kind of slashing attacks that's your you're rolling two dice and you could yeah. like thematic that you're doing a, a million slashes in your, in your round or whatever like that and that's why i let them have key points yeah at the end yeah, of the key is had, important to, had key. to samurai at the end of the day it's just a sword master really when you have the the wizard's yeah. guy and i would have right. i would have Loved if they had wrote like the thematic part of it as samurai, but called it swordmaster, so it could have yeah. played anything. And you know, just the the paragraph of uh, flavor they add that could have been you know samurai in origin. But why has it got to be a sword? It could be a bow. Could the be samurai a bow. actually use bow more often than the uh, katana. It's well, like why? Why would you run up to somebody just to get stabbed by them when you could shoot a bow at them and stab them first? Exactly. Right, literally, right. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyways, back to uh, all right. So you backgrounds. know what? You know what I'm actually thinking about is at this point, uh, if we ever talk about multiclassing, it's going to be its entirely own separate podcast it episode because yeah. we have just talked about a lot of uh, character creation stuff, uh, and it just flew by. Matt and I will dominate that conversation. Uh, yeah, I almost. <laughs> I'll not. tell you, you're wrong. It, it, I was going to say, here's here's Except how not. here's how I imagine this. It's uh, here's how I imagine this. You and Matt just going off. And me going, yeah, but does that fit thematically? And then Keenan just being Keenan's like, I disagree. And John, every once in a while, piping up with some really good stuff. I, I come in with a phrase that brings us all back together yeah. as <laughs> brothers. You're telling me right bear- before the table is torn apart. <laughs> You're telling me a bear class and has turned this family apart. Yeah, if a barbarian isn't thematic, Keenan, come on. I mean, <laughs> it's a barbarian that can turn into a bear because he's a druid as well. Yeah, but it's yeah. Victorian London, maybe not. <laughs> well, no, no, of course not. It's my bard barbarian, half orc oh. bard barbarian. I use my giant club as a drum, and I bang the earth. You play too much as my Monster instrument. Hunter, man. Right. That is too much Monster Hunter. Right That's there. a lot of Monster Hunter action, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's get some closing thoughts then on on character creation, and we'll start with John. Yeah, so what I'm getting from what you guys are saying is it's certainly a conversation to be had between the player and the DM, and how the DM is is going to affect how that comes out. If he's more mechanical, then you know that might 
limit some of your options. If he's more narrative, he may actually encourage you to go even crazier. Um, but it really, at the end of the day, is a conversation with you and your DM that you should have before session one. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think it's also a conversation between players because, you know, you got, you know, Joe Bob who wants to min-max and then everyone else at the table is making slightly more thematic characters. Maybe they're not taking uh, their dexterity or their intelligence, whatever scores, to to the max. Maybe they're trying to have more rounded-out characters. But then you've got one other person who's min-maxing and grabbing all the best spells and multi-classing to crazy amounts. And now they take half damage on most things, and they're, you know, beating everything up. The dungeon master has to put monsters out there that just wipe out everyone else except for the one dude. I think it's a, a conversation with players too. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100. percent Because when I was playing Ramona Azteca, uh, even though I knew the character build that I wanted to do and I knew kind of who he was, and I really embraced it. You know, you guys know I embraced role playing him, but there were times during combat where I was like, "Oh my god, I am so ineffectual right now. Mm. Like I'm just not." hanging with the rest of these guys and we're fighting some really tough stuff so i started looking for ways to do weird things in combat but at the same time i i got a little i got a little bored playing ramon because i couldn't we were not always we're not always role playing we, we have fights you know even though we're narrative focused we we still have our fights and stuff and i got a little bored playing after a while and that's why i kind of let up, him die off i headed i headed out with him and i brought ravana in I also think uh, that it is a conversation with your DM and also with the players. But before that can happen, it's a conversation with yourself. Yeah. What do you want to play? What have you seen in media or anything like that? You know, maybe the setting that's coming up. What have you wanted to play in that setting? You know, have you always wanted to be the wizard that basically becomes the god of spells at the very end of the campaign or, you know, however that is? You know, just play what you want to play. Yeah, that's that's really all I got to say. I think stats are stats tell a story, but have, you know, you can have them be effectual in the game. I disagree with everyone's thoughts on uh, backgrounds because they provide you skills which are massively important. That's um, true. You just don't get enough in fifth edition. Lost over. Yeah, potentially, but I think the points to round out, but that's a whole other debate, but I think overall talk to your player, or talk to your DM, DM be willing to talk to your players, talk amongst yourselves. Just have fun. At the end of the day, you choose what you play and make sure it's something you enjoy or experiment, too, if a lot of us get stuck in ruts. I agree with everything you're saying, but I disagree with you disagreeing with me, so therefore you agree with me. <laughs> you're canceled. That's how that logic works. Hashtag yeah. cancel that. So uh, I'm going to say, for me, the last thing for character creation, my last thought on that is embrace your backstory to help build your character. I think if you, I honestly think if you come up with your backstory first, your concept and your backstory first, that character is going to, everything else you do, where you can, where, where you want your ability scores, um, what class you're going to take, what uh, archetype you're going to, you're going to, you're, you're going to run with, what background you're going to take. I think that all comes from the backstory, at least for me, for my perspective, I, I, I always start with a backstory before I even start thinking about what character I'm going to make. So I can have that dragon mount. If you're no. Ranger Drakenwarden. John, let me tell you. Let me let me say this one more time. Your first level. Hey, hey, John, you can have a dragon mount in my campaign. I'm gonna go <laughs> play with Matt. We already do. I'm gonna play with him again. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us on Legend Lore today. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, please drop on by snwproductions.com to check out our downloadable content there. 
Uh, we have our Patreon page, a link to that there. We have a link to uh, some of our videos there, which are really fun to watch. Uh, and we're going to be putting up some more videos very soon about the different adventures we have. Uh, so you can kind of get a good feel for them before you decide if you want to download them. We appreciate you hanging with us today. Thanks, guys.